0: Hello and welcome to The Boldness. My name's Phineas Bia. I'm here flying solo this evening. Raphael will be back next month. So The Boldness is all about grabbing your human rights, not just waiting for some well-meaning person to give them to you. Coming up on today's show, we are talking with Suresh Ranjan, who is the former president of the National Ethnic Disability Alliance. And fortunately, we have Suresh on the line right now. Hello, Suresh.
1: Hi, Finn. Good to talk to you.
0: Now, um, I should just mention we're talking to you tonight, tonight about the, the Australian government's recent decision to relax the, v, relax the, the visa requirements for p- people with disabilities looking to come into Australia. they They did that... They did it very quietly, so you could be forgiven for not knowing that the government had done done that. What does the what do the what do these new, um, I guess, easing up of the visa restrictions mean to p- people with disabilities looking to immigrate mm. to Probably, Australia? Uh, uh,
1: to, yeah, perhaps we might put it in context and just look at what the old legislation said and. How this new, these new changes will will make a, a significant change to those old old uh, provisions. What used to happen was that when people applied for permanent residency visa, so it may be somebody who's already in the country on a four five seven visa, a work visa, a student visa, or whatever it may be. if they applied for a permanent residency visa, uh, then what would happen would be the government would look at uh, what the how the family was uh, constituted, and if there was any member of the family who had a health condition or a disability, that uh, that would then be assessed against what was called the health waiver. So, in other words, you'd look at, let's say, I I was coming in and I uh, applied for permanent residency here. Uh, what they would do is look at the family and say, okay, well, you have a child who has a particular health condition or a particular uh, disability. Now, let's look at the cost to the taxpayer of that disability. So, in other words, what services am I going to access? You know, if it be education services or it be a support services, whatever, they'll look at how what the total cost of that service would be over my lifetime and then say if that figure exceeded $40,000, then I was not going to be granted permanent residency because I was considered, under the terms that the immigration department used, I was considered to be a burden to the taxpayer. So that's the significant part of it, is remembering that we are reducing a human being into a question of what that human being is going to cost us as as a society and whether that person could be seen as a burden to the taxpayer. That's the context under which we operated for many, many years. What the government decided to do and very, very quietly slipped that through without us and even knowing that they were considering a change of this nature is that they looked, they, they increased that $40,000 figure to $49,000, which in itself is not significant, but what they did then did was to say, we're not going to look at the rest of my life, as the person with disability, and assess it against the rest of my life, we are going to assess it uh, on the lesser of my life expectancy or 10 years. So in other words, they put a cap of 10 years. So if I was coming in as a child of, you know, age 10, they would only assess what the taxpayer costs would be for the first 10 years of that person's life and If that figure then uh, was less than $49,000, then it was no problems. They would still qualify for the health waiver and therefore be allowed to come into the country. So significant change there because you're then shortening that uh, uh, assessment figure because, you know, you imagine someone at the age of... Five or six who had a disability they're going to say that that person's going to live up to age eighty two and then what the cost is of support services for each year of that person's life multiplied by the number of years in their life expectancy now we're saying there's a maximum figure of ten years and no more Wait,
0: is that going to make a significant difference to to people or or is it mm. just is it just I, Yes, making the government seem like they're doing something mm. good.
1: Look, I think it will make a sig- it will make a significant difference because um, instead of you know taking a figure uh, of an annual service and then multiplying it by thirty, forty, fifty years, as it were, uh, which is what they used to do, so they were coming up with figures of you know two to three million dollars that a person was going to cost the taxpayer, because they had another 30 or 40 or 50 years, in fact, some cases, up to 70 years of life left, potentially, because their life expectancy was uh, you know, going to be around about 80, and they were about 10 years old. So there's 70 years of services that we were supposedly going to be providing then. And so that was multiplied across, and you had a, a horrendously large figure. Now it'll just be multiplied by 10 and just look at the first 10 years. The other thing that they've also done, which is quite different from what it used to be, in the past what they would also say is that let's say the person was slightly older and they came into the country, uh, they were wanting to come into the country and they would have been eligible for the disability support pension. That was also taken as being part of the burden to the taxpayer. Now we know that what the system says is that new uh, entrants to the country are not going to qualify for 10 years for a disability support pension, and because we've got a 10-year limit on the calculation in this one, your disability support pension is not going to be taken into account as a cost either. So those two are the most significant changes that we've seen probably in the last, uh, that, 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 uh, that provision of the of the legislation has been there since the Migration Act was first promulgated in 1951 or thereabouts you know so it's been there for about 70 odd years and this is the most significant change we've seen Um, and it is it is going to be very very significant for lots and lots of people I can immediately think of the you know about 25 or 30 cases that I've done We've had to go and request ministerial intervention, etc. I can think of the vast majority of those people actually now qualifying for the health waiver and therefore being allowed the permanent residency visas where they weren't before.
0: Is there still a is there, is there still a, a a problem with the the the, the narrative? I guess the, well the narrative the narrative for want of a better t- term of of ca- casting uh, newly or, though, or immigrants with disabilities as as yep. burdens
1: or- oh yeah un- undoubtedly look we we have to move away from that that terminology we have to get away from that when you look at that i mean that is clearly a case of applying a set of rules to people with disabilities that we do not apply to anybody else so is it in breach of the un convention on the rights of disabled persons without question but i think the point that you make there is very very important what it does is also it still retains that that consideration of human beings as a a number against which we assess you So it's still very much a commoditization of a human being into a a drain on our resources. So the burden to the taxpayer is still abhorrent. It's still a case of that burden to the taxpayer issue needs to be addressed and needs to be taken away from our thinking around it. But it also sets in place um, as you quite rightly point out, it sets your mindset to regard a person coming in who has a disability immediately in terms of the cost to the taxpayer, the burden to the taxpayer. So it's very commoditizing, it's very uh, demeaning and that is still something that we will push hard against the government to, to uh, change. I think the other thing that we also need to be aware of, then is the fact that um, in recent years, that um, provision has not just been applied to people with disabilities applying for permanent residency. In recent times, we've seen it being applied to people who are coming in here for a three-week visit for a conference, for example. They've been looked at in terms of saying, well, you've got a child with disability Potentially, you could overstay and not go back home. Therefore, we're not going to allow you into the country. And I, I know of numerous cases where we've gone into back for them. So, uh, but that's very much along the lines of what exactly what you're asking. It is regarding people as a commodity that is going to cost the taxpayer and is a burden to the taxpayer, rather than looking at, at the inherent humaneness about, you know, about about the, the person.
0: Advocates are also suggesting, Suresh, that the, the that the um, tax that the, that if you even with a t- ten-year cap instead of a lifetime cap for people for children, for example, who. who who need educational support? It's yes. that, that's still going to exceed forty thousand so, dollars. So, in effect, well, forty
1: nine. Yeah, forty nine thousand
0: dollars. So, yeah. in effect, that will m- mean they're ineligible to 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 yeah. um to to, res- to reside here.
1: Yeah. Look, I, I think that um, what we would like to see is to take that one step further and say. That in addition to assessing you against a $49,000 figure we would like to have the amount of tax that's been paid by the the, the parent taxpayer to be taken against that figure so in other words uh, assume that I'm, and we've had instances of a uh, doctor, for example, coming into to uh, Western Australia here and and wanting to bring her child who had cancer into the country. Uh, she was going to be paying somewhere in the vicinity of about forty to fifty thousand dollars of tax per year. What we have said is that you should also take that into account when you assess the ten year figure. Look at how much tax is paid by the parent taxpayer, over the 10 years and look at the net tax benefit, net, net tax loss. So in other words, we're, we're saying, okay, if you want to have a look at this, let's get to the bottom line of saying, what is this person actually bringing in just as much as they're taking out of the system? and And that will be one step closer to making it a little bit more acceptable. But I agree with you, we need to review that 49000 because when you look in terms of schooling, what they've been doing is to say someone in, in school, um, that the school receives r- roughly about a, a $14,000 payment as the, educa- the, the federal education uh, funding for that person so even on $14,000 per year, a 10-year period, you've immediately got $140,000, which is going to exceed your $49,000 cap. So, but we're saying, hey, off that $140,000, take off the amount of tax that's been paid by the parent, reduces it down to well and truly into the positive territory because there will be more contributions coming in rather than going out.
0: My guest tonight is Suresh randon Disability Advocate, we'll we'll be back after this short break with us. In fact, we're going with a song. It is from rudely interrupted Love You Till I Die.
1: The Renegade Pub Football League proudly presents its inaugural Pride Round, Painting Victoria Park Rainbow, on Saturday, August 24th. Celebrating diversity in pub football, this free community event offers a laid-back afternoon of gender-inclusive Aussie Rules football, alongside DJs and a charity barbecue. Saturday, August 24th, gates open at 1230 For more information, including pub footy's August and September fixture, visit www.rpfl.com.au. The Renegade Pub Football League is a 3CR supporter.
0: Uh, And welcome back to The Boldness, 3CR 855 AM. You're you're with Phineas tonight. And my guest tonight is Suresh Ranjan, former uh, <coughs> former president of ethnic. Pe-
1: well, hey, sorry, Nida, Nida,
0: Nida. Sorry, I just had a mental blank. No, National no, that's all right. no. N- National Ethnic Disability Association. Association. Uh, Suresh, yeah. Suresh Ranjan is the president now. We were talking about. Um, we're talking about the newly. Uh, we're talking about, about uh, the visa restri- the, the or the 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 new newly visa restri- The visa re- the the lapse it, or the relaxing of visa restrictions. I should say, um, <clears throat> getting a bit tongue tied. Um, what? Uh, so what, what? What's a... F- uh, you talked before briefly about the the need for or. The need for a, a fairer way of of looking at things, l- looking at how we as- assess people. What what's what what do you, how do you see that playing itself out? Mm.
1: Look, it's it's taken us a fair bit of time to get to the stage, even uh, where we're at now. The, as I said, you know, the legislation was uh, was part of the Act when the Migration Act first came into place back in nineteen fifty one or thereabouts. Now, the purpose of it was, and it's probably important for us to remember the purpose of it. It was designed actually to keep certain disease conditions offshore. So in other words, there were conditions like tuberculosis and other conditions that we had that we were working to eradicate from Australia. And what we wanted to do was to make sure that anyone who had those particular health conditions that were significant in terms of the cost to the taxpayer um, was were were going to be kept offshore. However, what we didn't envisage at the time was that this was going to be uh, done a disproportionate way to people with disability because immediately you start talking about disability, you're starting to talk about issues related to uh, their, that person's disability that's going to cost in excess of the figure that they first came up with. When when we first had the legislation, the figure was about 20,000 Well, it was back in pounds in those days, but it went to dollars, it went to $20,000, and then after considerable lobbying on the part of most of the ethnic communities. We managed to get that figure up from uh, $20,000 up to $40,000. So that was one move. But it took us the better part of about 20 years of lobbying to get to that stage. So we've gone to the next stage. But what we've also seen in in the changes that have been made is that certain disability conditions have been excluded so in other words there are some conditions such as uh, some neurological conditions etc that have actually been excluded from the uh, from the calculation and the cost thereof you know so uh, we we need to still get to that stage where we can distinguish properly between what is a disability and what is a medical condition and then uh, do not apply that medical condition issues to a person with disability because that is very much in that social context of, you know, we, we, don't, we don't medicalize disability in this country. We've always worked very hard not to medicalize disability. So we need to continue to make sure that we distinguish between what is a disease condition and what is a uh, disability so that we do not apply this legislation to disability. So we need a bit more clarity around that. We need a bit more clarity around how the calculations are done. We need a lot more awareness from the Commonwealth Medical Officer who does the calculations as to what are the costs that are involved and what is the funding that is involved as well. It's important that you recognise that you know that the CMO, the Commonwealth Medical Officer, recognises that um, just because uh, certain groups do, you know are, are fall into that uh, categorisation as a disability, there's no guarantee that that particular community actually receives any funding. So therefore, there's no cost to the taxpayer. So, you know, we, we have to be sure that those costs are very real. We're not just simply coming up with a figure that is based on a speculation as to how much that person may have cost. We need to have actual costs taken into account. So there's still a fair bit of work to be done. What are my chances of getting something like that through? I would hope that it's good. But it indicates that the government's actually listening to some of what we say, and are hopefully starting to implement some of those changes that we've been pushing for for a very, very long time.
0: Do you think the the will they will the national disability in will they will the national disability insurance scheme make make it any difference? Will the, could they use the same? Could could they use the same restrictions to look at, um, mm. be, look at uh, people who are trying to arrive into the country? Yeah, look.
1: NDIS, uh, as it stands, does not apply to people who are non-permanent residents. So, um, you know, the NDIS does not... Uh, so if you're a student, for example, if you're a uh, work visa holder, uh, what used to be called the 457 visas, um, those people do not qualify for NDIS anyway. So NDIS uh, doesn't, doesn't actually give them any funding, So, and and they're not allowed to access any disability services. I mean, I spoke to a group of people the other day who uh, were uh, a group of uh, migrants uh, from uh, a particular country. And and they, amongst the, the, the 10 of them, there were probably about five of them who had children with disability. And the issue was that they were not able to access anything because they were here on the work visas, the old 457 visas, and therefore did not qualify for the NDIS. So that's something that we still need to address, where people who are taxpayers, because those people who are taxpayers, they're earning money as, as a as a skilled employee here on a 457 visa. They're paying tax on that income, but they're not able to access any taxpayer-funded services. So they're not able to access disability services because that's under the NDIS. They're not entitled to, to claim that. so That's... Still, very much the case of um, discriminating against people who are with disability because they're taxpayers, and we're not providing the taxpayer-funded service to them. It just seems rather bizarre. So they're not entitled to Medicare. They're not entitled. They have to take their own insurers. Uh, they're not entitled to uh, use any of the disability services. Um, And uh, so, you know, that's something we need to work with the NDIS to say, why don't we use the definition of taxpayers rather than permanent residents? People who are here even for a short term are still taxpayers on any income they earn here. So why can't we give them taxpayer-funded services like disability services? There's, There's still a lot of work to be done in that space and uh we, i think we are still very much in breach of the un convention on the rights of people with disabilities but um it, it'll take it'll take a number more years of us uh banging the drum before we'll get ch- further changes made
0: is there, is there a balancing act between looking at, looking after the mm. i i guess looking at the c- convention but also so ensuring that there, there is a there. There is a, a system for vetting people as they enter the country.
1: Yeah, hey, look, I, I I think that's very much uh, uh, is a balancing act, but I, I would I'd be happy to use the the definition of taxpayer rather than permanent resident to see whether the person's entitled to. Those services, because if you are a taxpayer, you are actually contributing to the funding for that particular service. So why should you not be entitled to claim some of those services? Because you've actually paid for some of that by by way of the taxes that you paid. So clearly, we have to be sure that um, yes, we, we we can vet etc. But we can use that rather than the residency status. Uh, because their residency status doesn't really tell us whether or not they're a taxpayer or... Because anyone who's... Uh, even if they're a temporary resident here, if they're deriving income in Australia, they're going to be paying tax on it. Is there, so therefore... Is, sorry, Suresh.
0: Yeah. Is there a, yeah. a way of... Just as a final question, is there a way we can agitate for the mm. ch- change in the system? How can we go about How can we go about that? How can we go about Look, that?
1: Yeah, I, I think the best way to to do it. Well, it's actually twofold. The first part of it would be to to go to your local MP and, and raise these issues as a as a serious consideration that they need to take up and run with. But I would also be trying to make sure that I was able to give evidence in Geneva for the UN con, uh, convention uh, that we, you know, the UN convention. Uh, people, the UN actually conducts a an assessment of how people are uh, adhering to the the, the uh, rules of the convention. So, if we can get that submission through to the United Nations for them to actually assess whether or not we are in breach and how we are in breach. If we are in breach, then that gets us a long way towards saying the UN can take sanctions against us to make sure that we do comply with the legislation in the future. So that would be the way I'd be going. Get a submission through to the UN, as well as having uh, your individual local member of parliament being addressed on this issue.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time this evening, Suresh.
1: And we'll catch up, no doubt, in the near future. Take care, Finn.
0: Yes, these are all these are issues that are not going to go away in a hurry. I, I suspect.
1: No, I think you're right.
0: Just before, I, go, I should tell you our next show is on September the eighteenth. That's a Wednesday, of course. Raphael will be back. Then come out next. It's Grace Peeler and the team from Cantata by Lovely.